Hello again, Share Lifers. Welcome to the reading of Noise. This week we are reading chapter 17 titled, Don't Mind the Noise in the Market. In chapter 16, the noise of discouragement, disappointment, and failure, Mr. Coakley reminded us that the enemy is our accuser, who constantly reminds us of our imperfections and failures of the past in attempts to destroy us. But that is exactly where they are in the past. God encourages us with his word and reminds us to have faith and hope despite failures. Using his word to speak back to the accuser truth and faith while also speaking blessing over our lives, never giving up as a believer. If this is your first time here, I encourage you to start at the beginning. The chapter readings up to this point can be found on my channel. Playlist is titled Noise, or you can listen to them on my podcast titled Share Life. Check out the link tree in the description. So now, let's continue reading Noise. Starting on page 160, have you ever wondered why the devil would focus so much energy, time, and effort in trying to distract you? Any army general or soldier who has been involved in war knows that an enemy would not waste resources or time on someone he deems to be insignificant. It's just not good strategy. So that means if the enemy is taking the time, Mapping out a plan and strategically setting obstacles in your way in order to deter you or to distract you, it could be because you are a threat to him. There is a saying that goes like this, don't mind all of the noise in the market, it's the price of the fish that really matters. That saying came from growing up in a culture where it was common to go to the market to buy vegetables, fruits, meats, fish, etc. And in the market, which was really a wide open space where lots of tents were set up for vendors, there would be so many merchants in one place and they were all trying to get the attention of customers to patronize them. So in order to get customers to visit the respective tent or stall, vendors would hold up their wares and shout out all sorts of things about their product to try and lure customers to buy from them. But veteran shoppers at the market had come to realize that although there was so much noise from the merchants touting their products, the only thing that would stand out to customers was the price of their product. In other words, these guys could be marketing their products, their fruits, vegetables, meats, etc., with the most eloquent of words, although in a market there was very little room for eloquence. But the only thing that customers or consumers wanted to know was who had the best price for what they wanted. And it was the one with the best price who would usually get the sale. For Christians, we live in a constant marketplace environment and the enemy has set up so many stalls, pushing so many wares and doing, doing so with so much noise or distractions that as believers, we must be able to block out all the noise and ask ourselves, what is the price I'm going to pay for the devil's product? The Bible reminds us that the wages of sin is death, but there are other prices to pay for giving our attention to the enemy in the market. One of those prices is the inability to fulfill our God-given purpose. To make sure that you as an individual do not fulfill your purpose is one of the reasons why the enemy wants to distract you. This is such a big deal, probably because there are four basic longings or needs within every human being. They include the need for acceptance, the need for identity, the need for security, and the need to fulfill purpose. 
No matter where you live, what language you speak, what culture you live in, the color of your skin, or what religion you belong to, we all have these basic human needs. These needs determine why people do the things that they do. It's all in an effort to meet one or all of those basic needs. It's amazing the extent some people will go to in order to be accepted by others. They do things they would not normally do, say things they that may be offensive to them or go places that they don't like, all in an effort to be accepted. The same could be said for the search for identity. We have this innate desire to identify with someone, some group, some movement, with a culture, or with a family. Finding our identity helps to give us a sense of who we are and where it is we feel we should be heading. Finding out who we are is the beginning of the possibility of living the kind of lives we always felt we should be living. A sense of feeling secure is another of the basic human needs. We all want to feel secure, not just in terms of physical security, but we want to be secure in who we are personally. We want financial security. We seek emotional security and to an extent, even spiritual security. Purpose. That seems to be the ultimate search for mankind. We discussed this in length in a previous chapter, so I would not go into details about purpose here, but I would re-emphasize that there are many people who live their entire lives and never discover their purpose for why they are here or why they were here. To me, that's a sad, sad thing. Imagine spending 80 or 90 years on this earth and never walking your true purpose, and yet many people go through life never discovering the reason why they were born. God never creates anything without a purpose. If God created insects, plants, or animals with a purpose, how much more do you think mankind has a purpose? It could be explained like this. Earth is the purpose for the universe. Man is the purpose for the earth, and the heart of Father God is the purpose for mankind. It was the longing of the Father to create children on which to pour out his love, and so God created man in his image and in his likeness. David cries out in Psalm 8, 4 through 6, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you placed everything under his feet. It sums up the reason why the devil has an anger towards mankind that has burned for centuries and his only purpose has forever been to destroy mankind. Man's purpose has always been to keep the earth from getting back to the place where it would become dull and void, and his main target was the devil, to keep him from causing that to happen. However, the enemy has reversed his strategy on man. Since man was given the authority to prevent him from destroying the earth, the devil simply began to influence mankind to cause them to destroy the earth themselves. So since the beginning, he has influenced men to be jealous and envious towards each other. He has sparked hate in mankind, creating wars that have one sole purpose, to kill as many men as possible. Wars, genocide, mass killings, abortion, gang wars, racial conflicts, murder, and crime have all been influenced by the devil to destroy mankind. Just take that in.
pollution, destruction of the ozone layer, poison and pesticides, toxic waste, and destruction of marine life are all part of the enemy's plan of getting mankind to destroy the very earth he had been assigned to protect. Man's greed and his failure to understand his purpose has resulted in the destruction of the planet. Man has long since abandoned the responsibility given to him by God at the beginning of Genesis. It's interesting to see the progression of distraction which the enemy has used down through the centuries. With each great invention came a new level of distraction which the enemy has used, creating even more noise in the market. Now today, there is so much noise around that Christians have very little, very little focus on the mission at hand. They've become distracted with the latest gadgets, technology, and electronics, many of which have so many new features and apps that it would take a year just to learn how to use them all. The internet, social media, television, movies, DVD, CDs, iPod streaming services have all been used by the enemy to distract Christians. All of these gadgets, although created with good intentions in mind, have been successfully used to distract the average Christian from growing up spiritually and fulfilling his or her purpose. God is finding it difficult to get through to many Christians because they are so consumed with all of the noise in the market. In a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma, it featured a number of computer scientists, programmers, tech geniuses, and creators, all of whom were former employees and designers who held major positions in many of the tech giant companies and social media leaders of the world, including Google, Facebook, Pinterest, Firefox, and others. While they all noted that the original intent of social media was a good one and that it did bring some great advantages for the world, they admitted that somewhere along the line, those major social media companies lost sight of all the good and it turned into something else. They all admitted that social media is a drug. It has become an addiction for millions of people. Some of the former employees who helped to create these social media platforms admitted in the documentary that in spite of knowing all of the tricks and traps of these platforms, they still find themselves addicted to the products which they created. One of the designers pointed out that the whole idea behind the creation of so many streaming sites, chat sites, and other such apps were all designed to see how long they could keep people engaged online and on their cell phones. Tristan Harris, a former design ethicist at Google, said something very interesting about the purpose of technology. If something is a tool, it is generally just sitting there waiting patiently. If something is not a tool, it starts demanding things from you. It's seducing you, manipulating you, wanting things from you. And we've moved away from having a tools-based technology environment to an addiction and manipulation-based environment. Social media isn't a tool that's waiting to be used. It has its own goals and it has its own means of pursuing them by using your psychology against you. Edward Tufte was quoted as saying, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. The documentary was sobering, especially given the fact that it represented the views of people who were not just a part of the industry, but who helped to create many of the social media sites that are still popular today. When Christians get so consumed with the distractions of the world, they have begun to turn their attention to the merchants in the busy marketplace, looking to see who has the best price for what it is they may want to buy. Little do they know when the price 
may be one of which they are unable to afford. This next part is uh, subtitled, Dead Men Can't Hear Noise. Have you ever heard the expression, dead men tell no lies? The Bible says that the dead know nothing and therefore have no say in what happens on earth in Ecclesiastes 9 and 5. Why all of this talk about dead people? To encourage you to die to the flesh and to the world around you. Now, I know by saying that many people are quick to jump up and warn that it is impossible to die to the world around us, especially since we have to live in this world. Well, if it was impossible, Christ would not have admonished us to be in the world, but not a part of it. That doesn't mean that we live with our heads in the clouds and pretend that what is happening around us does not matter. When Christ told us to be in the world, but not part of it, he was warning us not to live by this world system. The Apostle Paul encouraged all Christians to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service in Romans 12, verse 1. There is a paradox in that scripture because for the most part, sacrifices are always dead or killed before it is placed on the altar. Yet Paul is call, calling on us to be a living sacrifice. And one of the biggest problems with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. God wants our lives to be a sacrifice, but he doesn't want a dead sacrifice. Another problem with a living sacrifice is that as long as it's still alive on that altar, it will feel the fire burning and that can become uncomfortable. A dead animal feels nothing. As long as Christians remain alive to the world, alive to the pleasures of sin, and alive to the activities of the world system, it makes it easier for them to give in to the noise of the world. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul took his time in making this argument about the need for us to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Romans 6, 2, and 3. He went on to explain that such a death took place when Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. Once we become believers, no matter when we made the confession of Jesus as Lord, it was as if we were back at the cross on Golgotha, and it was as if it was us being crucified. Paul said that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we may no longer be slaves to sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of weakness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6 verses 12 and 13. This is important to know because there are many Christians, even those who have been believers for many years, who still don't know that they have a choice in whether or not they participate in sin. Some believe that as long as they are in the body, they have to sin, that sinning is inevitable. Some people are convinced that they have no control over sin and that they have no choice but to give in to it. Their favorite expression, expression is, well, we're all just human. 
Yes, I understand that as long as we're in the flesh, we will have a constant battle with sin. And yes, there are times that we are going to give in and miss the mark, but we are not to go into the battle already admitting defeat. Paul nipped that in the bud in verse 14 when he said, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace in Romans 6 verse 14. That tells that me that we have a say in whether or not sin controls us or we control our flesh. However, all of this is dependent on whether or not we realize that as Christians, we should be dead to sin and that dead men can't hear anything. I don't know if it is sheer ignorance or something used as an excuse, but many Christians have a hard time with this concept of being dead to sin. Many have used the grace message as a crutch and pointed out that Paul said we were no longer under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we know are we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means, he said in Romans 6, verse 15. That means that the excuse of being under grace will not be accept, be acceptable reason to intentionally continue participating in the sinful nature. Some have even suggested that God was unfair to keep us in the body, only renew our spirit, and then demand that we not give in to sin. They find that an almost impossible situation in which to live. On the surface, it seems unfair. And like I said in an earlier chapter, it is very frustrating. However, Paul offered a solution, suggesting that just as we once offered our body to sin, when we were still sinners, as believers, we should become slaves to righteousness. In other words, we are to offer our bodies to do the righteous things instead. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, as Paul said in verse 18 of Romans 6. Apparently, it all comes down to a decision. When we feed our flesh more than we feed our born-again spirit, we will constantly give in to the noise of the flesh. To us, our body is not dead, but very much alive. And as long as the body, our flesh, is still alive, the battle will always be fierce and the spirit will lose out to the desires of the flesh. For many of us as Christians, when we give in to the noise of our flesh, if we are honest, we will be quick to admit that after we have given in, we are ashamed and feel condemned. In our regret, we would vow not to do it again. But once the temptation comes to our flesh again, if we are not spiritually mature, we give in again. Paul asks, what benefit you reaped at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? These things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. In Romans 6, verse 22, when the devil shouts out your name to try and capture your attention, don't even look around to see who he's talking to. You're supposed to be a dead man and a dead man can't hear, hear noise. I've watched those video clips of guards at the Queen's Palace gate in England where they stand as sentries. They stand there for hours and hours, not moving, hardly even blinking. The videos show people from all over the world trying their best to get the guards to move, to laugh, or just to evoke some facial expression. People would do all sorts of things. 
except actually touch the guards. Like, make funny faces, say funny things, etc. But those guards were like dead men. They did not budge. That's how we are supposed to be when the enemy tries to make noise or throw distraction our way. We remember that our spirit man is dead to sin. So we stay focused on Jesus and we don't budge. Well, folks, that's the end of chapter 17. That was a good one, huh? I want to watch that one again. <laughs> so the next time you see me, we'll go on to chapter 18. Listen to what the Spirit is saying is the title of chapter 18. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me this week. I look forward to you joining me next week or next time.